Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. 78 years ago today, on August 6, 1945, the United States dropped the first atomic bomb on Hiroshima, Japan, obliterating the city, killing tens of thousands of people, and unleashing nuclear warfare on our planet. A blinding flash of light, a billowing mushroom cloud, an event of near total ruination, laying bare just how destructive humanity can be. People are still divided over the ethics of that decision. I taught high school history for years, so I know the arguments for why the United States dropped the bomb and then did it again three days later at Nagasaki, even though its destructive power was clear. But true history, which tells us what did happen, can never tell us what might have happened. So we will never know the consequences of not using the bomb. Would the war have dragged on? Would tens of thousands more people have died? No one knows. There are no comparative ethics possible. But no one is arguing that dropping the bomb was a good thing. At best, some might argue that it was the lesser of two evils. That it was an evil is apparent to all. The dropping of the bomb revealed something to us about the core of humanity, about our capacity in the midst of warfare and strife to be incredibly inventive in our methods of killing one another, of pushing forward to accomplish our goals, of our willingness to sacrifice the innocent in the process. Today is also the Feast of the Transfiguration, when we remember a very different event, though one which was also marked by a dazzling light and an enveloping cloud. In that moment on the mountaintop, Peter, John, and James saw a glimpse of who Jesus was. It was a moment of revelation of their rabbi's true identity. They saw the glory of God shining on Jesus' face. They saw him talking with Moses and Elijah. And they knew that the moment was holy. In Moses and Elijah, they see that all the law and the prophets from the Old Testament are pointing to Jesus. They see the fulfillment of hundreds of years of hoping and praying Jesus is their Messiah, and this is what they have been waiting for. But then, Moses and Elijah are getting ready to leave. The moment is slipping away. So Peter, in all his earnestness, offers to make them tents so that they can stay. He sees the glory in front of him and wants to cling to it. And this impulse isn't wrong. We're supposed to be attracted to the glory of God. Why are we showing up here every Sunday if we're not searching for it and longing for it, 
hoping to see it in the transcendence of worship. But Peter missed an important bit, the bit where Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were talking about Jesus' departure, not his walk down the mountain in the morning, but his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, his departure from our world. The thing with God's glory is that it is holy and beautiful and life-giving. This is why we long for it. And it's also contagious. When Moses had too much contact with God, his face started shining, just like Jesus's. But humanity can't handle that kind of glory. The Israelites shunned Moses when his face shone because they were afraid of the strangeness, of the holiness that Moses was experiencing. They wanted God's glory at a distance, perhaps because they knew intuitively that they were unworthy of that glory. And if we think about our own world, our own day in this world, What would it be like to just give the glory of God to the species that came up with the atomic bomb? Now, maybe weapons of mass destruction feel very far away from your everyday life. Or maybe you are anti-war and go to peace protests and always vote for nuclear disarmament. Maybe you don't feel like the atomic bomb represents who you are as a person, and fair enough. But I saw the new movie, Oppenheimer, this week. It's about the man who led the Manhattan Project that developed the bomb. It's a compelling story about his life, about the bomb and its political aftermath, though I do need to warn you that there are some scenes that make it deserve its R rating. What struck me, though, was the character development of the various scientists who work on the bomb. Many of them are Jewish, and some are immigrants who have recently fled Europe for their very lives. They are brilliant, the best minds of the day. They are well-intentioned. They're working on this project because they are terrified of the thought that Hitler might make an atomic bomb first, and they cannot fathom Hitler winning World War II. But then, just as they are finishing the bomb, Hitler kills himself. And just over a week later, the war ends in Europe. Their enemy is gone. Sure, the war drags on in the Pacific, but these scientists are faced with the fact that their brilliance and their good intentions have built a bomb that's going to be used on people who, in their opinion, don't deserve to die. They fight it, they sign petitions, but it's too late. Oppenheimer justifies it to himself by an irrational belief that this bomb will end all war. And very quickly, he finds out that that's not the case. They are caught up in circumstances beyond their control, circumstances that lead to the deaths of around 200,000 innocent Japanese civilians. And there is something here that rings true to what it means to be human. 
we are caught up in a world where sin and death reign. Even our best efforts bring us to places where we realize that we've hurt the people that we love. It might not be as dramatic as building a bomb that introduces nuclear warfare to the world and starts the Cold War. But we've all been there when we were trying so hard to do what was right and it all just fell apart around us. When we had good intentions but then realized we did the wrong thing anyway. We can't just give the glory of God to this world it would be like the proverbial lipstick on a pig. But that's why Peter didn't, didn't get to set up the tents for Moses and Elijah. That's why the cloud of God's presence came in and covered the mountain. And when it left, Jesus was standing there alone, back to looking like himself. God's glory was revealed to the disciples, and then it was concealed until Jesus could depart in his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus has to change the world before God's glory can rest on it. It's too soon up on that mountain, but that doesn't mean that it will never happen. Because we live in a world dominated by sin and death, in a world where despite even our best efforts, we still end up mired in it all, Jesus had to enter into our world and become sin for us, become obedient to death in order to heal the world. Moses and the law couldn't heal the world, couldn't prepare it for the glory of God, because hearing the law just makes us want to disobey it. Elijah and the prophets couldn't heal the world, couldn't prepare it for the glory of God, because none of us were willing to listen to them. No, for the world to be ready for the glory of God, Jesus had to transform it entirely through dying and rising again, defeating death on its own terms. And it's still not quite there because we're still waiting for Jesus to come back and finish healing the world. But a crazy thing happens when Jesus does die and rise again. Because Jesus is God, because he carries all of God's glory in himself as God's only son, his very actions show us the nature of that glory itself. God's glory is revealed in the dazzling light and the enveloping cloud on the top of the mountain. And that looks like what we expect it to look like. But when Jesus is hanging on the cross, God's glory is also revealed. God's glory is revealed in Jesus' obedience to death. God's glory is revealed in Jesus' suffering not for the sake of the suffering itself, but because that suffering would heal the entire world. God's glory is seen in the selfless emptying of our Savior. This isn't what we expect glory to look like. 
But it is through this glory that Jesus offers forgiveness to those of us who end up unleashing nuclear warfare on the world when we mess things up royally despite our best intentions. It is through this glory that Jesus is present to those who are left suffering after the blinding flash and the mushroom cloud are gone, to ourselves and others who feel the consequences and impact of sin in our world. This is the glory of God that matters. This is the glory of God that we can receive because it is what heals us and makes us worthy of him. And so this glory of God is given to us, not just on the mountaintop with Moses and Elijah, but on Golgotha through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. The glory revealed there on the mountain, deepened on the cross, blossomed at the resurrection and shone at the ascension. And we too receive it in the here and now. We glimpse it in the forgiveness of our sins and the comfort for our sufferings. And one day Jesus will return and renew and heal our world completely. And then we will see his glory in all its entirety. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.